Okay, the title uh, for this message of of called play it's called playing God's holy game, and a uh, little confession to start with. It is a phrase from C.S. Lewis. Um, you can find it in his book The Problem of Pain, which is a must read. Uh, so, and that's pretty in keeping with uh, the project um, protocol with quoting C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton and Tolkien. But um, yeah, so I've fallen victim to it as well. Um, In the text, um, my central text is this one from Galatians, so I'll just read it. Um, But if you are led by the Spirit, uh, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, uh, rivalries, dissensions, uh, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and uh, and things like these. I war- That's pretty much covered everything, isn't it? That's, a, that's Western society for you. Um, I warned you, as I warned you, uh, you before, that uh, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Um, so the, the way I want to start to frame this up, and this might seem a weird question, has anyone ever heard of the Judeo-Christian ethic? Has anyone heard of the word before being used? Um, now, basically what it is, it's the moral foundations, particularly associated with the Ten Commandments, that is laid down in Judaism and is totally upholding Christianity. And it's also the basis of our law and order and stuff. If you ever go to court, I'm told, you put your hand on the Bible and that's, it, it, that, that's the importance it is to our, our democracy and stuff although people are trying desperately to change that. Um, now, Christianity has its roots deep in Judaism. Uh, the Bible was written by Jews and in a Jewish context. I don't know if we tend to miss that sometimes and, and forget where this came from. And finding out uh, the secret to a lot of Scripture is actually getting a context. Um, the other thing is, too, Jesus was a Jew. Um, and so the big question is, what makes a Jew? Uh, so I think in our sort of exterior focused world sometimes we think it's um, you know like a, we identify Jews by their looks you know is it um, you know it's not people with olive skin and bigger noses that's not what makes a Jew um, it's what distinguishes them from other nations and it's something more than covenant um, now the answer is rather strange uh, it's actually law is what makes them different throughout history. From right from their beginning, uh, Moses gave them a law that made them utterly different from all other people groups. Um, now, I don't know if you've heard the term the law of Moses um, at all, but he, Moses is the one that gave us the Ten Commandments. Um, so, uh, but you could look at all the laws that, that came out in the law of Moses. I've just put them into three general categories. You have the moral law, which centered around the Ten Commandments. Then you had the sacrificial law, were all the stuff to do with um, dealing with sin, all the sacrifices, all the bloodletting and stuff that was to do with, uh, with, with sin and understanding what that is. And then, then they had this other section that had like, I think it was like 613 laws for living, which really st- stood Jews out different than the whole rest of the world. They had laws on nearly anything, so many things that you, you know, whether to do with weird hygiene laws, all these sort of things. If you want to look them up, it's in, I think it's in Deuteronomy. Um, but uh, there's like 600 and over 600 laws of all these little things to do with life and living. And it made them distinctly different than everyone else. 
Um, so, the, you know, so I think sometimes too that we may look at some of those laws that seem rather crazy, but they do serve a purpose in the fact that they set Israel, uh, 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 they, they, it made them different. And I think that's something to take out of it because sometimes you read and go, why would God do this, you know? Why would he tell them to command them to do that, that sort of thing? Um, but anyway, that's something else to check out. Now, then we arrive, uh, Jesus is often called the new Moses. And um, he had this, he had one of the scriptures in, uh, so Matthew 5, where he says he, he came not to abolish the law, but to, compl- uh, to complete it, to fulfill it. So anyway, I say all that just to get the word law out on the table, to realize that um, to a Jew, it's a big issue. You know, when you say, oh, just stop doing all that stuff, it's actually part of their identity. And that's why when we sort of casually say, oh, don't worry about it, this would be like saying to us, just forget everything you know about being Australian and pick up another culture. We would not be happy with it. That's why they hang on so tightly to it. So, and I didn't understand that a whole lot until I read... Um, uh, Pope Benedict's Jesus of Nazareth, and, and he brought out some of the stuff and what law meant to them. That's why it wasn't just something you could just turf away. So anyway, what do you think of when you hear the word law? Just, uh, again, Diff was talking about this the other week. This is, tends to be what Christians get known for, is this, uh, um, you know, we have all these rules. Um, when you hear the word law, do you think of a killjoy, something that's going to take your fun away? Um, some people, as soon as you say it, they think it's the antithesis of grace. Immediately, it's like you have to choose between the two. You've got law on here, grace on there. Which one are you? You know, well, we're Christians, we, we go for grace. So just discard the law. Um, other people just find it hugely condemning. They look at that, I can't live up to, you know, I can't even live up to the Ten Commandments. In fact, we probably all struggle with one of them. Um, some people just don't care or they think it's just for the Jewish people. Now, it was interesting. I actually, I actually went to this, this school uh, before it was uh, anywhere near the size it is now. And they, back in the early days, when you were first starting something and you're wanting to be really Christian and biblical, man, did they have a lot of rules. And the funny thing with a person like me, sometimes it's actually entertaining to, break, to, to push the rules because uh, I remember one, one year... And I, to actually, I actually got some extra rules created because of me. And uh, one of them that was really funny, one year um, I, I had a... There was, there was some discrepancy or some disagreement happened uh, during the school day and it was getting towards lunch and I, I thought, I, 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 I've had enough today, so I decided to run away from school. And the, um, I had people chasing me and the thrill of having people after you was... It was really fun, you know, and, and I had this big journey all the way home, but it was like sometimes when you go nuts with rules, it actually <laughs> brings out this thing in us that we want to have fun with this, and I can honestly say that happened. The school is not like that now, but I can assure you in the early days, it was crazy with rules, and I think they realised that it's like, uh, it's like proposing a fun game to a person like me when you go nuts with that, so uh, it's not like, like that anymore, but that's the way I reacted to it. Now, there's been one group of people that the word law has got a reaction I've never seen so intense before. And um, as many of you know, I spent um, about 11 to 12 years at Teen Challenge Drug Rehab and I lived there for about seven of those. So I was totally immersed in that culture. And um, 
When you mentioned this word to them, I, I was trying to find, I couldn't read this piece of paper out, but I'd ask them questions, what do you think of the law? And seriously, the amount of F-bombs that are in a, one piece of paper, I, just, I was trying to look for it to show you just how intense some people struggle with this. And it's mainly because nearly every guy that goes in there has been before a judge or they've been in the backseat of a police car. And the other crazy thing that I noticed from the guys that would come through the centre is um, some of them saw the law, and I'm not joking about this, a personal enemy. And some of them believed it was a conspiracy, I'm not joking, thought it was a conspiracy set up just to take away their fun and freedom. And I, I used to be intrigued with this all the time. They'd go, yeah, the cops just, they, they, they fully got into me. I said, look, if you're... If you're going downtown at 1 a.m. in the morning with a jimmy bar in your hand, it's, it's not a conspiracy. It's just common sense, and you've got a record. What do you think that you're doing things to attract police? I said, I don't walk around going, where are the police, where are the police, because I'm not doing things to attract them. And so this funny idea of law, but boy, did it stir emotion. Now, there's this one person I'll never, ever forget. I'm just going to call him uh, Rick, and... Um, and he exemplified this negative view of the law like no one else. But he was also one of the most restless, angry souls I've ever come across. My first introduction to him was I heard this barrage of, of amazingly intense Fs. Like it was, I heard it from my room and I, th and I, I actually come in to see what was going on. And it was simply this. It was something over, you can't have breakfast, at the, the breakfast is from seven till eight, you know, because we had all these rules laid down in the centre. You couldn't just wander in. We're trying to get them to be employable and get him used to timetables and stuff. And, it, and he went off. It was either something like, it was over breakfast, it was in the morning, it was either breakfast or he wanted to use the phone. And so that's a really great thing to do for someone who's an addict is, yeah, give them a phone and see who they call sort of thing. So he got denied something very minor. And this, this that was the first time I encountered him. So... Um, with the, what I used to do at the centre all the time was I'd try and get some... I'd, I'd, a new guy would come in, I'd sort of gauge them for a couple of days and then I'd meet with them. And uh, so this guy uh, certainly got my attention. And uh, there was another thing that got my attention too. He had tattoos, and as most of them do, but this, these ones were very different. He had tattooed on his stomach right across here, F the law in full like fully tattooed on him. And then he also had right above it here the symbol for anarchy. Do you, do you know that A thing? So he had, that, he had those two tattoos. So in my first meeting I had with him, I was just merely trying... He was going off about he didn't want to have breakfast that time. I'll get up when I want. I'll do, you know, that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, for me, his tattoos were his creed. They weren't just tats. They weren't just body art. These were like his creed for life was F the law and anarchy. And so I didn't, I had, I'd been praying about him that day and when I come to meet with him, I was going to go down another, uh, another sort of approach with him. Um, and he, he, again, he brought up how angry he was about obeying any of the stuff that we had and how we hated authority and couldn't stand that caseworker because he told him what to do. And, and I just asked him a question. I just said, what's your favourite sport? And he was happy to answer. He said, what, you know, and he, it was rugby league. So I said to him, pretend I'm an alien. I've never, I come to your earth, I see the, uh, you, you like this game, you love this game. And I said, you need to explain it to him. I've, and you've got to understand, I've never seen it. Never, um, 
I don't know a thing about. I said, explain this game that you love without using rules or laws. And he sat there for about two or three minutes and he couldn't even get out a word. He was just about to, can't say anything because, you know, the, he just couldn't get a thing out. I'm saying, but this is a game you love. Tell me about it. And he couldn't explain it. So everything he wanted to say about his beloved game was based on a law. The field had to be a certain size, the ball a certain shape, the play a certain time. Not only that, the rules were what made his favourite players. Their particular game skill was developed by and because of the governing laws. The rules of the game define and validate a particular sporting ability. See, a league player is only a great kicker if he uses a league ball. His skill is developed around a regulation ball. The law actually gives rise to his ability. It brings it into existence. The rules produce his skill. Do you see how that... Imagine if he turned up to the, to the NRL thing and he had, this, he had a gridiron ball and he said, oh, this, you can kick this heats further. It doesn't count because the skill that he's developed is for a bigger ball, a heavier ball, and he can't use that one. It's, if he did, it would, it, no one would want to watch him do a great kick. See, it's, can you see in the, the, the game that he loves, it only works because he's in submission to its rules. Um, when laws are broken or not upheld by bad refereeing, it destroys the glory of the game for everybody, in, including players and fans. Now, there's a great example of this. I don't watch the rugby league at all, um, but, so I don't know much about it, but this story was unavoidable. It was in the news for a whole week and it was to do with the team, the Cowboys from North Queensland, were playing someone, I don't know who it was, um, but anyway, what happened was the referee got the tackle count wrong and you're only supposed to have six tackles and the other team got seven tackles and on the seventh tackle they scored a try and won the game. Now, you would think that this would be a joyous, you know, like for all the people, yeah, take it to the man, break the rule. Why? Everyone was totally furious. The news channels for one week had a story about these crazy, this cowboy thing for a whole week. And for us who don't care about the game, it's rather annoying. You're just hearing these whinging people. But see, these people, the referee, would you agree, destroyed that game because it was not held to the rules. It wrecked it. And people are still angry about it you know there's probably still some blogger going feral about it somewhere now that's just sport the other thing is this this these same stuff applies to music music must adhere to certain laws so you think about what would handel's messiah be without regard for pitch what would bach's mass in b minor be like with no regard for timing now i have to do this diff knows this is coming but Diff and I agree on a lot of things. I, I think I, I would like to own up to the fact that I probably got him addicted to C.S. Lewis and, and G.K. Chesterton. But uh, one of the things that Diff and I have discussed many times is some of the music he likes is, I don't know, the best way to describe it would be someone's having a kidney operation without anaesthetic. <laughs> and, and they've put some drums and bass to it and just recorded it. But... Um, do you know what I'm talking about? And I, and I don't even know if it's called vocals. I think it's more, um, 
a growl or something like that. But I remember seeing at Easterfest they had this band called As I Lay Dying and I thought, I want to go see this because this, this, this intrigues me that people are so into this. And I renamed the, t- the band As I Lie Di- Dying in Immense Pain That's because that's what, that's what it sounded like. This guy was hollering for his life. But um, even inside that music, which I think is bra- it's definitely breaking the rules of melody, I can assure you, but... Um, <laughs> What it, was, what it isn't breaking, though, and it's weird because all these bands that, that, that are into this genre, always into anarchy and, you know, just uh, destroy stuff, wreck everything, you know, this, you know uh, it, it's just destruction, generally speaking. Um, and the weird thing is the anarchy they sing about is not applied to at least half their music because the one thing I can appreciate about some of these bands is the drums the bass and the guitar are deadly accurate. Can you see how you can, you can do your, you know, your, uh, your hollering and screaming, but it has somewhere in there, the laws must be obeyed or it's nothing. Seriously, do, would, you, would anyone listen to these characters if it was just the vocals by themselves? No one would be interested in that. What, what, what gives it some credibility is the fact that underneath supporting this is played amazing drummers, Credible guitar players that are absolutely locked into the rule, the laws of rhythm, and even the guitarists—they can't disobey the laws of melody, even though the vocalist certainly does. But can you see how music? And this is crazy. This—I um, saw—I <laughs> was uh, taking the rubbish to the dump one day, and I had the ABC on. I don't know why I tortured myself for the ABC, but um, <laughs> seems to be a leftist think tank. But the they had this radio show on, and I like some of the music. They had the classical stuff. And, and this one show, they had um, they, they did this big build-up for this guy. And it was, there was a, sax, a guy who played the saxophone and, and percussion. And I thought, wow, this is going to be really interesting because they just finished playing some amazing classical. And it was into another show, and they're, you know, they're talking that sort of ABC. And now we have so-and-so, and he, he's got, you know, that sort of thing. And I was, he fully built, built this thing and I couldn't wait to hear this, this, this band. And it was because it's such an unusual combination, saxophone and, a, and, a, uh, and percussion. And I thought, oh, this would be cool. And, the, and so they started and I was waiting for it to start. And it was like, it was like, random notes just popping off everywhere and it sounded like someone was kicking some bolts around on the ground. And then I'm waiting for it to start and it, that was it, and it finished, and they're going, yes, that was, uh, you know, uh, and I'm going, that, that's nothing. That, you know, and I think, too, a lot of the push with modern art, I see it as it's really man taking on, it's a pride issue. It's man taking on a God position and saying, we will say what's good now. We will break every law, and you, this is good. And the simple fact is this was rubbish, it was not like the music that, that was just played. It was, it was random. If I can do it, it's not good. You know, that's the way... I, I remember going to the Guggenheim Museum in New York and when I w- walked in there, I, the building's amazing. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, but some of the art in there is just plain ridiculous. There was, there was one with swear words hanging from strings. And people are saying, isn't that... In, doing all this comedy, that, to me, is... That just summarises how insane pride is. Standing in front of something that's rubbish and saying that it's good. That is, that's us humans carrying on like God, saying we determine what is right and what is good. 
Um, and I think a lot of modern art um, paints a picture of pride more than anything when you look at it. Because if seriously, if, again, if I can do it, it's not that good. Um, so anyway, getting back to the music, uh, the topic of music. The laws, and, uh, law, the laws of rhythm and melody define music and differentiate it from random noise. The rules of music give us freedom to write and they guide creativity to what is good. The transcendent emotional power of music depends on obedience to law. Have you seen how amazing it? Music is such a... We, we, what we're not noticing when we're moved by it is that it is absolutely adhering to all the laws. If I grabbed Nathan's guitar and I just ran, did anything with it, you, the, what is making it uncomfortable for you is my law-breaking. Do you understand? It's, it, I'm just playing anything I like. It, it, that's what's... Now, why is that so? Why can't you just play anything? Because God designed these laws. And they, these laws, when you are play, writing a piece of music and you play a wrong note... What's the wrong note? It's out of line with that scale structure. Who said that that was the way it is? And, and see, what happens is as you, if you're writing a song and you start disobeying, the rules guide you, swing you back to what is good music. All the good things you enjoy in life depend on law. Law is what God put in place to hold the universe together. Without laws, there is no life, no physical reality. Whatever you see in this universe is held in place by a law from stars, planets and solar systems to the electrons that move in a quantized orbit around the protons and neutrons of an atom. There are laws of gravity, thermodynamics and entropy, laws of chemistry, motion and energy. The list goes on. The importance of law to reality cannot be overstated. Now, I'm just going to pop this next scripture up. Check this one out. Now, we know that the law is good. If one, use it law, if one uses it lawfully. And just a quick note, the way, why that phrase is, if one uses it lawfully, where you can see it, the law abuses, when people use it, the law, for their own advantage. Often you see this with lawyers. And isn't the law court supposed to um, bring us towards justice? And yet you will find lawyers, this is using the law unlawfully, they will use the law to actually justify and get off a totally guilty person. That's using the law in the wrong way. Um, it's serving your purpose. So the law isn't for, meant to... Uh, it's something that you can manipulate to, to, to do stuff to people or to, even to yourself. So anyway, th- uh, we know that, that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, uh, for the ungodly and sinners, for the, holy and the, and the, prof- the unholy and the profane. And check out this one from John. Um, this is John, uh, 1 John 3, and, uh, 3 verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices, practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, lawlessness not only destroys sport and music, it destroys life. Rick, the guy with the tattoos, was a perfect, perfect example he didn't F the law. The law was still intact. It was him who said to me, that was f do, do you understand? Here he is with this creed on his chest and the exact opposite thing. He did, that didn't happen. Because you cannot beat this thing because it's actually the rhythm of reality. 
And it's like you trying to deny gravity. That's how stupid it is when humans go, we will design a new morality. We will, you're, you're saying, well, let's, we, we're, we're done with gravity. You can't do it. Um, it was his life that was anarchy. Breaking God's moral law had made him miserable. Um, this is something I have uh, seen consistently and witnessed in the rehab world. The most selfish, lawless, conceited people are always the most restless, paranoid, twisted and tormented. That is beyond statistics for me. I saw this 100% of the time. That is true. So the more, the more intense and rebellious and lawless a person is, the more paranoid that person will be, the more... Uh, they're miserable, utterly miserable. You want to find a group of sorry souls, that's where you find them, in a rehab. Now, getting back to, this is back to our central scripture. Now, read it again in light of what we've talked about. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. That big, long list again. (laughs) We'll just go down here. As I warn you, I warned you, uh, as I warn you, as I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now look up the top again to where it says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So where does the Spirit in that, in verse 18, lead us? From out under the law into harmony with it. Can you see how you're not not sitting with the weight of it, you're actually in harmony with it? Um, Grace does not make bad not matter. Good will always be good. You can't change that. God's moral law cannot change. It is a reflection of his character. Now, this is from uh, Ravi Zacharias, who before Peter Craft and C.S. Lewis took over, this, this guy was, I used to get called a Ravi head, so you can imagine how much I love this guy's material. But he says this in his book, The Grand Weaver. He says, the moral, this is Rabbi Zacharias, the moral law stands as a consistent, contradiction-free expression of God's character. If I violate this law, I bring contradiction into my own life and my life begins to fall apart. That is the perfect definition of a rehab guy. You can't win against this thing. You can, you can rile and fight and complain and say... Um, grace doesn't make, it's nullified that, it's rubbish. Good will always be good. And there is a certain way that life is supposed to be lived. Um, that's why, again, if you uh, back in that scripture in Timothy, it, said, Timothy, it says, the law is not laid down for the, for the just, but for the lawless. And you see the picture again, it's not laid down, the, 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 uh, the just don't need it because they're in harmony with it. Can you see, so it gets laid down for the lawless, the disobedient, the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. Now, the works of the flesh, sexual morality, um, you know, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, etc., are outside the moral, go- the moral lines and rightly incur penalties. Um, these can be everything from guilt, shame, insecurity, pain, unhappiness, all that stuff. Now, I, again, witnessed a, a perfect example of this. When I was doing bucket loads of club gigs, there was this guy that worked at Fibbers. I was just calling Bob. And he, he rang me up this one day. I was writing something. I remember I was at the computer. He rings me up and he goes, you know, where's... Uh, are you up the internet? He goes, 
get on the internet now. I've worked out what's wrong with me. And so he would get on there and he took me, it was right in the beginning stages, he took me to the website Beyond Blue, you know the depression thing? And he said, this is me, look at this line. He read the thing and he goes, that's what I'm suffering for, from. And I did something that I haven't done many times but I knew I could do it on this occasion because I had a good relationship with this guy and he knew, he knew me well. I said, you haven't got a depression problem, you've got a sin problem. And why he was depressed was, about three weeks earlier, he decided to have an affair with someone at Fibbers, one of the staff. And so he sleeps with this girl, completely blows his family apart. And it just, I'm talking mess. I had family members ringing me and I was around at play and it was a shocking. So this guy just destroyed a family and he wants to feel, can you see how it would be worse if he felt nothing? It's actually, this is a gift. And so what he tried to do now is lump it all on. There was a good reason you should be depressed. You've just destroyed your kids. And they couldn't, the family was split up all over the place and the mother was so angry. Of course, she's saying stuff to the kids. Now they don't want to talk to him. He's going, oh, left that, you know. And that's, you know what I mean? It could be directly linked to what he was doing. Sin does that stuff to us. And that's what we don't understand. Like getting back to the rehab guys, it's the same thing. They are not happy. And yet they pursued happiness, good time, uh, with, with, with like a drug over, you know, the pleasures you get from drug use. And yet it did the exact opposite than the very thing that they're after. Who made that law that it was so? Why can't they be happy? It's because there is a God's moral law is laid down and it just works. We either submit to it or it'll make us submit. And this fella, this fella uh, uh, that, that cheated on his wife and did all this stuff, um, he was just getting the natural what should have happened, but I think he ended up just explaining away that it was depression. I had my best shot at him, but because he wasn't a Christian, um, he knew I'd shared with him the gospel story heaps of times. So he knew where I was coming from, but I just had to say, so, mate, you haven't got a depression problem, you've got a sin problem, you destroyed your family. And I said that's what we need to work at getting fixed up if, you know, not you getting medication to make yourself feel good about what you've done because that ain't going to work. Now, we were designed to play God's holy game. There are no laws, think about it, getting back to the scripture again, there are no laws against love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Why? Because that's what the game of life is about. What skill slash discipline is to the game of sports, so the fruit of the spirit is to the game of life. Just as there are no limits on how well one can run or kick a ball, there are also no limits on how well one practices the virtues. In other words, becomes like Christ. Do you realise what it's saying is, says, uh, uh, you know, in at the end there it's saying against the against such things there is no law God's saying there's no law on how much you can love it's limitless go go crazy it's just like saying on a sporting field oh we're going to cap your speed at so and so no they say you are free to go hard on this do you, you know what I'm saying there's there's no um goodness isn't capped you can actually play that as hard and as well as you like there's no law against it but there certainly is against unfaithfulness but there's no limit to how faithful you can be. You can be, a, you know, uh, let it go to the limit. You just let it go. You know, God 
is not restricting those things. They're not capped, but the other things are. So what God... Now imagine a, a guy, a great sportsman, whinging all the time about the rules. Oh, why does that stinking line have to be there? Does he realise that those stuff is actually making him a great player? And if he doesn't shut up and start playing the game, he is totally wasting everyone's time. What if every week they brought up again, what about these stupid rules? Can you see how he's starting to wreck the game for everyone? Now, if again, think of this perspective change. If you can start to put law as something that's not actually going to harm you by adhering to it, it'll actually make life better. Now, this is where in, uh, in the Psalms, the longest psalm out of the whole 150 is Psalm 119. And guess what the theme is? Law, precepts and the ways of God. The longest bit, the right in the middle there, is you've got this massive chunk. And basically, this is just a sample, but the, believe me, the whole book is like this. Open my eyes, that's what we're trying to do this morning, that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Now, can you see if we have a perspective change like we have been talking about, can you see how that can make sense now? So David's thinking all these, the ways of God, they just work. There is, when people show courage, it's a good thing. And there's, there's, it lifts, you know, these, the virtues work, basically. Now, law is not burdensome when the heart is right and love has taken hold. Wedding vows are a great example. The most virtuous, godly way for a man and a woman to celebrate and legitimise their love is a wedding. A wedding is essentially about the vows. It would be pointless without them. Now, I've played for many weddings and I understand that a wedding day for a bride really starts at four in the morning or some crazy thing. Guys aren't quite as concerned, but you would think by looking at our style of weddings that, you know, you've got cars, you've got amazing dresses, you've got tablecloths, you've got, um, you know, plates done up all special, you've got arrangements everywhere, you've got flowers, you've got this and that. But do you understand that whole day, that whole, for the, for the bride, it's like maybe 16 hours of stuff, that if you take out 10 minutes of vow, it is nothing. Do you understand the whole thing? Imagine if you announced, so we're going to do a whole wedding, but we're just skipping the vows. The, you know, why go? You see, everything, the whole day is just a dress-up. It is not... Uh, and that, I think that's a sad thing, is as the vows become less important, w- what is it to the modern people? A dress-up. See, the vows actually validate, the whole day is actually built. And what are vows? They're laws. Wedding vows are noble, beautiful laws we all love to hear, especially the father of the bride. They list things that true lovers will and will not do. Vows set honourable boundaries for love to express itself. They don't restrict and stifle. Wedding vows set, wedding vows protect and nurture not just the couple that make them, but the children that are to follow. Because this is why there's such a huge deal. There's more, uh, the children are protected by those laws. That's why we say them. Um, and again, you wouldn't, you, 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 you can't imagine in a wedding thing it, it, when, in a ceremony when someone starts saying the vows and imagine someone go, oh, this is so legalistic. 
Can you see how when the heart has changed, I, I know uh, my, my uh, very, very good friend Isaac, I remember when he got married, he couldn't wait to say vows to Mel. <laughs> oh, believe me, he was one very excited man and I, I was there for his whole courting thing and he used to drive me nuts with five phone calls a day about Mel all the time. Like he was, he couldn't wait to get married. Imagine if me as a friend, oh, you don't want to do these laws, Isaac, they're, so, they're not burdensome, he couldn't wait to say them because his heart was right. Do you see what I mean? Um, now, law has been with us from the beginning. It wasn't an emergency system God put in place to deal with mankind's rebellion. In the pristine, sinless world of Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17, we read this. So understand this, there is no sin. And God says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This decisive law helped validate love and free the will. You can tell I'm not a Calvinist. Um, <laughs> it, is, it only became a problem when, the, when pride entered the heart and love was pushed aside. See, the tree in the garden was not a silly game God wanted to play with apples. Have you heard someone mock the Christian thing? And they, they concentrate on the objects and miss what's going on here. Um, now, this law was a test for something. It's a test for pride. Think about it. See, pride is the ultimate cosmic sin. You can't do other sins unless you're first armed with pride. Because think about it. If you're going to steal, what you have to be doing is elevating yourself and go, I will take. I will. See, before a sin takes place, something else goes on in the unseen world first. Before I grab this microphone, what preceded the grabbing? The thought, I will grab it. So everyone mistakes just that they look at the sinful act, but realise what empowers you to do sinful acts? pride and now think about this there is no there is still law in heaven you know what the law is no pride allowed that's the law that sits in heaven right now now this is how deadly pride is pride is what turns angels into demons see we get caught up on all the sins that humans get and forget that the cosmic sin is pride that's what that's what created satan is 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 pro it's his thing and see um again like i said before it's the power behind evil before they took the apple pride had risen to such a they'd taken it on the sin had actually already taken place the taking of the fruit was simply the confirming of what had already happened so um again that's something to for us to consider with I think sometimes when we get hung up on certain sins and forget that really what's sitting underneath this thing is this cosmic sin of pride. Now, last scripture is this one, Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to, li to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing um, of the glory of <clears throat> our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who, ha who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself 
a people for his own possession who are, who are zealous for good works. See, law is not the enemy. There would be no music, sport or life for that matter without it. Lawlessness is the problem. And according to Titus, that is what Christ has come to save us from. Look at the line. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. God's grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's in, ver- in, ver- in uh, the first, in verse 11 there. Uh, so let us play God's holy game and stop testing the rules. It's time to practice love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against these foundational virtues, there, there are no laws or limits. Now just a quick note on love, and uh, i just got one other comment before we wrap it up. Love is not a sloppy, passive feeling. And I saw this so clearly again at my work at, in, in Teen Challenge. If you want to... The easiest thing to do, say if a guy like this, like Rick, that comes in, if you've got a guy that's going to yell at you and, you know, what did he get challenged about? Is when he, if I get, in to, you know, get into his life and start challenging him about stuff, I'm doing it because I love, it. I love him as a person. I want him to change. I want him to adhere to laws that are going to free him. Now, the, that, the love I had for him compelled me to be confronted by him because he, he said some unbelievably bad things to me, like stuff that even some days I still heard about it, but that's the risk love takes. I couldn't just let him sit there going on this path because he can't win against what he was trying. He, he's not going to F the law. And if I love him, I'm going to tell him that he can't. You know what I mean? My love, it's so love isn't something I'm waiting to feel, uh, you know, I don't want to have any problems with this person. Love will confront. It has to. And I, this guy was one of the most difficult people to confront and he screamed and yelled at me. But for me, I could just let him, just, uh, just start, you know, blow him, just let him wander around the centre and waste more of his life. Or else I could take the risk and, and he did abuse me. But that's what, love isn't as scared of getting abused. Um, the other thing is, think about this, to love is also to hate. Think about this, the more you love unrighteousness, I mean, more you love righteousness, the more you hate what? Unrighteousness. If you love justice, what do you really hate? Injustice. See, it's proportional. So, again, we've got to change some of our ideas on what we think love is. It's not just hippie feelings. It's it, love will do hard things. There's sometimes it'll it'll say nothing. Sometimes it'll put it all on the line. Now another another title I could have called this is the grace of law. Can you see that now? Now again, it, this is what Diff was talking about the other week. We need a perspective change. Um, yeah, it's it's sad that Christians get things that Diff was talking about the other week of being killjoys and all about rules. But if you change, I've had this talk with guys at the centre and had them happy to obey the rules when they saw what it was. Um, The best time I ever saw was this guy who really got it. He just thought, this has been the cause of all the wretchedness in my life. He went back to his room, got his roommates and said, we've got to stop fighting this. And they all held a premium and they were different people. 
From, you know what I mean? Because I understood this isn't against them. It's not a conspiracy. It's trying to help them enjoy life. Um, another, again, another example I saw of this with uh, knowing God's law and his precepts is a grace. Now, when I was over in the States last year seeing my sister, my brother-in-law took me to a gridiron game. And like, if you don't... <laughs> If you just turn up and you think, what the heck is going on here? There's like 400 people on the field, you know. There's just dudes everywhere. And, and what's the first questions I start asking him? What are the rules? Why am I asking? He's not going, when I said, hey, Darren, why is that happening? He didn't say, oh, I don't want to come down all heavy on you. Can you see if, if he starts not telling me, he's actually keeping me out. By telling me, he's inviting me into the game. So, and I actually started to just appreciate this sport. It looks weird to start with because they're, they're not that actual size, you know. It's all, you know, all those things they wear, they're half the size when they take it all off. But the, the um, understanding the way quarterbacks work and all that sort of thing and what he has to do and the, the pressure of kicking and all, when you get all that, you actually start to enjoy and like the game. Because until you do, it looks pretty confusing. So again, um, uh, there, you know, there are laws, like I said, regarding everything, even nutrition. If you want to be a healthy person, you've got to obey the laws of nutrition. An example of this that I'll never forget is uh, my good friend Wayne over here. I toured in a band with him for a number of years, going all around Australia. And when you're travelling and doing music you're, and spending a lot of time on the road, you tend to uh, eat from servos and I broke the laws of nutrition with the servo food and believe me, it does it as much as you think a magnum is a great breakfast <laughs> thing to eat, you will feel crap if you do. And I don't know how many times, some way sometimes you know, oh, but maybe it's different this time. No, it ain't. You eat the servo and the weird thing is when we saw the McDonald's sign, that was actually health food, <laughs> you know, after... <laughs> After, you've, after your Dim Sims and your Chico Rolls, McDonald's is proper health food. So, um, but again, these law, these, and if you don't know that, that's why often when, when a missionary team goes in there to, a, to a, another country, one of the first things they're trying to do is get them to adhere to the laws of nutrition because they may be breaking them unknowingly, but nevertheless, they're broken and they're sick. Do you, do you mean, it's, it's not, we're not coming down on people, it's actually helping people. See, God's moral law is a beautiful thing. It makes people happy. It makes people secure. Um, now, just to sum up, let me make this clear. If you're sitting there going, oh, no, there's so many things to obey. It's not, again, don't think like that. Um, it's all grace. This is what I want to finish, finish on. First of all, it's grace that gave you your very existence. So if that's the starting point, if you can't exist without that's a grace of God for you to even exist. Everything that follows, if you are 100% product of grace, everything that follows after grace is a grace too because it's based on a grace. Do you understand that? Now, this is the incredible thing about the grace of God. The grace of God sometimes acts like a wall. It'll stop you from... You are determined to do something, and I've seen this with guys in the centre over the years. There's been a few that tried to OD, and some... And so that was their intention, and grace stopped the OD. And I've, I've even heard testimony from the, the 
the ambulance people that turn up said, this person should be dead. See, what's going on? So sometimes grace functions like a wall. It actually stops you from going and carrying out what you're wanting to do. Now, that's a marvellous thing. The other thing it's like, it's like a rope in a, um, on an indoor rock climbing. Grace is like that line that gets attached to you. It gives you, it doesn't make you climb the wall, but it saves you. It actually gives you a type of weird strength to do things you would never do if that rope wasn't on. So it'll hold you. The, and, but the, the final thing, I think love at its greatest, it'll do all those other ones, but it's, it's at its greatest. Um, the grace work of grace is not doing away with the law, but bringing us into harmony with it. When you no longer want to steal, you are no longer need the law, thou shalt not steal. So grace will pick you up wherever you are in that, in that equation. But believe me, the greatest work it does is actually when it changes your heart. And you don't need the law because you're in total harmony with it. You want to be faithful. You don't need the law to say, um, you know, that unfaithfulness is a bad thing because your heart has changed. And that's where grace is its most powerful. Um, again, Jesus, when he says he fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the law of sacrifice. He does not want you to try and pay for your sin. You can't do it. But what he does want you to do is participate in the act of purging it. You can't pay for it. Understand that that's what Jesus fulfilled when it says he fulfilled the law of sacrifice. He's, that's squared away. But would you agree the residue and the, the smell of sin is still on us? And that's where, I like the word, I mean, the other word people use is sanctification. I like the, the Catholic word is more the, the purging thing. And I like it more because for me, it just sounds like you're, you're after something. You're not just let, you know, letting uh, sort of an angel do stuff to it. It's sort of things, the thing, you're after stuff. I want this purged out of my life. And, um, but that's what Christ does. He's not, again, you're not gonna, he doesn't want you to pay for it, but he does want you to participate in purging yourself from these things. Again, life is about playing God's holy game. Love, joy, peace. Um, because when we do, we're not under the moral law, but we're in harmony with it. Again, if one thing from this message is, again, is go away with, change your perspective if you've got a negative view of this, of, of law. And find out, um, again, no one, think of the Teen Challenge guy, he, he no one is going to defeat this thing. It's bigger than all of us. This is the, this is the reality that you are living in. You don't, you, you submit to it, stop fighting it. You know, but compassion brings about certain, uh, it, it brings about a certain per, type of person. People that are uncompassionate are certain, you know what I mean? Like it, it, this thing is here for you to make you more, cry. and again, the whole thing, the reason that uh, God's made this is, this way is to guide us to being like Christ. That's what this whole thing is, that you are on this planet to become like Christ. That's your central mission.